after a while, you would ask this question, what on earth is God doing in heaven? And you might ask it in a light-hearted way. By God's grace, we have run the Boys and Girls Brigade Ministry for more than 30 years, beginning with where it all started in Woodlands in the 1980s, about 1983-84. And so today, we still do Boys and Girls Brigade in, I think, six companies across the board, all the way from schools in Woodlands to Kochuan and then to Nanyang. Every year, they have a Bible quest, I think, a sort of challenge between the different companies, and uh, all the different schools take part. And ever so often, our BB company would win the prize, beating RI or ACS. Imagine the boys at RI ACS, they might be asking, what on earth is God doing in heaven for us to be beaten by an inferior school, as it were? And somewhere along the line, you will ask this question. For if you are a fan of English football, you'll be asking, every time England loses its place, almost there in the World Cup, what on earth is God doing in heaven to us? But more seriously, in the earlier service, we had a new member share that her journey of becoming a Christian began with her experiencing two miscarriages. When you face two miscarriages, you might ask this question, or you will ask this question, what on earth is God doing? Last year, the year began for us on a sad note. The twins were born, stillborn. We had Tedious as part of our youth fellowship, a younger folk, pass away at the prime of his life. And we do ask those questions. I was preaching in the UK, and I was picked up to go to the convention centre, and then we were driving along the highway, and the person who was driving me said, you know, you see this overhead here, o over the highway here? Yep, the, the speaker, one of the speakers came to this convention years ago, and as the, as the car was going under this, a, a lorry ricocheted off the overhead bridge and then crashed and killed him immediately. I, I do not know why he shared that with me particularly, <laughs> either to discourage me to take the plane back, and, I mean, he was a, a Christian speaker. He was going to speak at a Christian conference. Does God have... What on earth is he doing in heaven? Somewhere along the line, you will ask this question. And that question is answered in Luke 1 and Luke 2. When you hear about the birth of the Lord Jesus, when you see the birth of the Lord Jesus through spiritual lenses that the Spirit of God gives you, you are seeing the greatest display of heaven meeting earth, of God hearing our cries and our problems, of living in a fallen world and living with sin as our main characteristic of life. So here, right, go backwards. In this portion, God works through empress, verse 1 to 8. Verse 9 to 20, God works through shepherds. And thirdly, God works through really forgettable people, people that the world will not notice. And all that is in the inner circle to present Jesus to us as sovereign king, as saviour of our sins, and as the son of God. That the birth of this child 2,000 years ago is the most momentous birth that we should not celebrate once a year on what we have conceived to be Christmas Day. And so, how does it begin? 
the God who works through emperors, authorities, policies and politics. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar, Augustus, from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered, all the Roman world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria. And so emperor governed through governors, all strewn around the empire. All went to be registered, each to his own town. Emperor issues a decree, everybody follows. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea. I ask you as you read this, do you think Luke, the writer, is his focus on Augustus or his focus on Joseph? If you're writing this, you give the greatest focus to the VIP. The VIP is Caesar Augustus. He's the first official emperor of the Roman Empire. At the height of the Roman Empire, they estimated that Caesar Augustus ruled over a landmass of 3.3 million square kilometres, slightly bigger than America. I just want to ask us, what's the landmass of Singapore? And what is the duty of our government to rule over about 6 million people? He probably ruled Caesar Augustus over a landmass bigger than America, and he ruled over 70 million people, they estimated at that time, 70 to 100 million people. Caesar Augustus was a man considered to be godlike. If there was a king who promised to bring what we call in Latin, Pax Romana, peace and prosperity, it would be him. And there will be celebrations of him all over the Roman Empire. So there's only one sentence given to him, and the one sentence sets the stage. That the birth of Jesus, the factuality of this, the historicity of it, is located in the time and place when Caesar Augustus ruled the Roman Empire. But the camera zooms in, not on Caesar Augustus and his great human achievement, but zooms in on a couple, a nobody couple. And Mary was most likely, I do not know, in her teenage years, teenage years, 15, 16, thereabouts. As I mentioned this, I mentioned this in Adam Road last week, you study in the Bible study. How old was Mary? We were guessing at it, but she was definitely not above 20. My mother came from China, right? And she got married at 18 years old. She was the oldest of her whole batch to marry at 18. In fact, they considered her an old maid. 2,000 years ago, the marriageable age was this. And so, to an unmarried young girl and Joseph, the focus zooms in. But what is the claim to fame, as it were, to Joseph? Why is he there? Because he belongs to the lineage of David. King David, perhaps the greatest of all kings in Israel's history. And where's that place that's important as part of joining the dot points back to David? It's Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David. God had made a promise recorded in 2 Samuel that from David's line will come a descendant who will do what? Who will be given rule over the entire universe, an eternal rule that will never be broken. And so the important thing is, if Caesar Augustus didn't issue this policy or decree for everybody to go back to their birthplaces to be registered, they would not have gone from Nazareth in the north to Bethlehem. And God is sovereign that because of this, this couple is propelled. And for them, it's just the wrong time to be moving. She's pregnant for the life of me. 
after a certain time, they don't allow pregnant women to do X, Y, Z, even in our modern-day world. And we're not talking about modern-day transport for them as they make this journey. You're talking about them walking in the heat of the day, in the desert, in the dirt, and the dust. All things that might be threatening for a first pregnancy. They would never in your human minds and wisdom decided to go all this distance to Bethlehem. But God ordains that Caesar Augustus would issue this decree. And when she's there, verse 6, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Any couple who has had children, you want to choose a most familiar place with all the greatest comforts, with the greatest family support to give birth to your first child, to make sure that nothing goes wrong. Find the best doctor, find the best gynae, find the best hospital, find the best everything. But for Mary, giving birth to Jesus, who's come from the glories of heaven to the goriness of earth, she's a totally unfamiliar place. She's there by compulsion of a Roman emperor. She gave birth to him, gave birth to a firstborn son, everything that is important, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, most likely an animal's trowel. If you get ready in your own home in modern-day Singapore, you want to prepare your room as best as you can, get rid of all the germs that is there, and buy the best cradle and buy the best things that you can for that baby. And here is the Lord Jesus. He comes into the world in utter, complete humility. He comes from heaven to earth, in total vulnerability. He comes from heaven to earth in complete obedience to God the Father. And so from cradle to the cross, you see Jesus in utter, complete humility. The same consistent attitude in Him. So He is presented as the true sovereign here. In comparison and contrast to Augustus, that great ruler of a great landmass over a great many people. So lessons that are drawn very quickly because we can only but summarize here. In the words of the main commentary that were recommended to our people by Dale Raff Davis, a wonderful commentary, faithful but easy to read and understand. He makes these statements and I copy it directly from him. See, when you read this account of Emperor Augustus, the most powerful man, he's but a servant in God's purposes. If you ever approach the emperor and say, you are a servant of my God, he would be hate to you. But in God's sovereign purposes, yes, because you issued this decree, there will be born the true king of the universe, unknown to you because of your decree. So emperors make such good servants of the sovereign God. And then God propels Joseph and Mary out of their comfort zone. You never, as I said earlier, for a first child, take this journey, this arduous journey, to a very perilous ter terrain, to give birth in a most unthinkable place that you will give birth to your first child. With all the unfamiliarity of that, you want things to be familiar, you want familiar faces of parents or relatives around to help just in case anything goes wrong. They had none of that. Complete trust in God. Time, place, delivery. And what do you see here? You see a gospel paradox. And the gospel paradox is in that cradle, in that place, right? 
in that animal trial, you are seeing the birth of the Saviour of the world, the Divine King who, want, who would come to save us from our terrible state of rebellion against God. And when you look at the cross, when Jesus dies there, if he's the Son of God, tell him to come down. Nobody could see on the cross except for the centurion who said, surely he's the Son of God. And the gospel paradox for your life and my life is when God works, when heaven touches earth in and through the person of Jesus, God is most seen and visible when he's most hidden. And some of you could be sitting here and the carpet has been pulled from under you and things have happened to you that you say, what on earth is God doing in heaven? Does he not know how much I've cried? Does he not know how much I've suffered? Does he not know? And so in that brief sharing by Kyrene, I don't get all their testimonies in advance. I just hear that. But in God's sovereignty, he weaves it, he weaves it, and she doesn't even know that somebody came into a mother's life and the mother said, just pray for this child. And God answers that prayer. And in God's good time, friends are sent along to her life. She can only remember the amount of venom and anger against a mother who beats her all the time. Some of you could sit there and you could have come from homes where abuse, mental, verbal, physical abuse, or you're in a marriage relationship. What on earth is God doing here to give me such parents? This is the God who knows all things and plans all things. Not to punish you, but to save you, to love you. And you will see that grace and the mercy and the love of God in Christ. And some full display in his own life from birth here for us. The God who goes ahead of them to prepare the place for them in Bethlehem. So do you believe that God goes ahead of you? And so you can be rescued from all anxiety like Jen? Because through COVID, the number one global emotion, the global affection was anxiety. I told you many times, Auntie Mona and myself, I think the pastors, we have never counseled so many people struggling with anxiety, hyper-anxiety, acute anxiety, basically fear that paralyzed, if not demolished their lives. Just in case you've got short memories, COVID was totally frightening. It was totally frightening in the first months before they discovered the vaccine. After the vaccine, they said, ah, okay lah. Okay lah. Another pandemic hits us and you and me, if you haven't found security in Jesus, you will go down the same gurgler or worse of hyper-anxiety crippling your heart and paralyzing your life. The God who goes ahead of us, preparing all things for our salvation, seen in full display in the life of Jesus, before is experienced in full display in the life of us as people who believe in Him. So we did a survey of our discipleship groups, adult discipleship groups, and found, can you see, it's a bit small, but the biggest chunk of ages here, the biggest chunk of ages, 28.9, the, um, yep, the purple colour is 45 to 54 years old, 27.6 is 35 to 44 years old, and then the blue colour, 13.4% is, um, yeah, the blue colour, yep, that's right. We haven't included basic in this. So basic, all the goes, our youth fellowship goes all the way from 13 to about young 20s and upper end of maybe 20, 24, 25. We put it all together. We thank God. It's 
we are an intergen church. But this is not the main thing that struck me or struck us. Then we asked people, the average um, ARPC person, uh, where do we live? Where do we live? Right? And this is what we found. Okay. The smallest chunk are those who live in the East Coast. Right? So how many of you live in the East Coast? Hands up. All who live in the East Coast, let's give them a big hand. Right? Every week you make this journey from the East to the, to the Middle. Right? And soon we're going to take you from the East to the West, in Tengah. Right? Then the biggest chunk lives in the West. Right? Clementi, Jurong, Bukit Batok, Bukit Timah, Holland. Yep. Then the next biggest chunk is in the purple, central. Not much difference, just 10% difference. Bishan, Topayo, Amokyo, Serangoon. Then we look at that and say, my goodness. When me, when the elders and I, when we started this work in the 1980s and 1990s, we already plotted this out. Where all our members will live. We did this survey during COVID, after COVID. We did this survey, and it was after we got Tengah. The God who goes ahead of us, I don't have to ask a huge chunk of you to move because it's in the West. Amen? Hey, you should be excited. Lah. <laughs> How would I have planned this? You think your leaders are prophetic? We are not. And we're not about to stand here and bamboozle you and give more spiritual credit to ourselves. We could see the future. And we have visions. If we see a vision, we jolly well make sure it's a vision. When we started, we're just a bunch of fellows with a group of boys brigade and girls brigade. And we look at them every week, the same bunch. This is not growing at all. Week after week. How would we know that we would be where we are today? Simply by preaching the gospel and loving people as Jesus commanded us. Preaching the gospel, great commission. Loving people, great commandment. You obey the two greats of Jesus, your life will be great from a spiritual perspective, from an eternal perspective. So we do not just read of Augustus there and Mary there 2,000 years ago. You must believe that God is orchestrating the, everything from the corridors of power that makes policies to our lives that are affected by those policies. In some countries, those policies are plain antagonistic. I'll say more about that later. And so, we just implemented Simply Go. Then Singaporean says, you simply implement. Now you simply reverse. You simply think about this. Huh? There's the to and fro between authorities and citizens. But in Augustus' time, there's no to and fro. I'm the emperor, you are the citizens. I call a decree, you go. It was a most inconvenient time to be on the move. But it was that that fulfilled promise, fulfillment. Promise, fulfillment. Luke 1 and 2 is just full of promise and fulfillment that God is at work in our lives. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. First thing to note, whenever angels appear, the first thing the angel has to say is, Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not die from a heart attack. Do not fear. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. City of David, the promise of fulfillment is there. For you to born is two things there. Saviour, 
Christ the Lord, three things, three titles. Saviour, Christ the Lord. You know, if you look at it with some detail, what the angel is sent by God to pronounce is a very politically subversive statement. What must you never mention in the Roman world? The, the title or the word you must never mention in the Roman world is the word Christ. Christ means king. There will be no competitors to Caesar Augustus. You mention Christ and somebody, the, the plainclothes policeman passes by, you will be napped and thrown in. You'll be in trouble. Right? So, post 9-11, 9-11, two towers got hit by terrorism. Soon after that, I was speaking at a conference, I flew in. My goodness, security at airports post 9-11 was so tight. So much so, I cracked the joke that every time I go through airport security, for us men, remove belt, remove shoes, remove everything. I said, the next time I'm going to come in my swimming suit, I think. <laughs> remove, remove, remove. So, always delayed, always delayed. By the time I got out, the person said, was it okay? You're, you're so late. I said, it's okay. Was, you know, the body search and everything was just so prolonged. I said, as if we're carrying a bomb. The moment I mentioned the word bomb, don't say it. Don't say it. Bomb is a dangerous word. <laughs> you never say the word bomb post 9-11. They will nap you. You do not ever mention the word Christ in the Roman Empire, which means you have ambitions to overthrow Caesar Augustus. The angel comes and gives you the alternative king to all our earthly kings. The rightful king and he will be called Saviour, Christ, the Lord, the Sovereign. And notice as they come, the heavenly beings, they come from the place in which praising God is the thing to do every moment and every day. The angels come from heaven, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom He's pleased. And this is not just global peace that Miss Universe brings, peace on earth. This is peace that only Jesus can bring. But it's only to those, if you read this carefully, with whom he's pleased. So when this was given, obviously the recipient of this are the forgotten ones of Israel. Not the high priest, not the priest, not the Pharisees, not the Sadducees. It's given to the forgettable ones like Elizabeth, Zechariah, Joseph, Mary, Simeon, Anna, nobodies who have become somebody in God's plan of salvation. And so the angelic entourage comes. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened. And so angels appeared to shepherds, similar to, to Mary and Elizabeth. Whenever God works in their life, they are on the go. You may not know the whole picture. It's so characteristic of the gospel. God says to Abraham, go to the land. And Abraham says, give me a GPS. Abraham just goes. He just heads in the direction. There are no road markings in the ancient world. It's just pure desert. Have you ever walked in a straight line in a pure desert? Every single time God works his salvation plan. From where it started with Abraham, go to the land. Then he says to Moses, for that whole generation who had lived in slavery to Egypt, Moses, you will lead them to the place they will worship the true and living God and no longer worship the fake gods of Egypt. It's always go 
when Jesus dies and resurrects, you go and make disciples of all nations. Being on the go for God is at the heart of the gospel. Be very careful when you're not willing to go. And God has a way of propelling you out of the comforts of your life. For familiarity tends to breed contempt for the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. And so, the shepherds go. Let us go to Bethlehem. Nothing good in Bethlehem. Right? It's like in your travel itinerary, you go and line up an unknown city where you go to TripAdvisor and all the things are... There is not a single review about Bethlehem. If there was one review, it's please do not come to this place. It's boring and it's dead. The shepherds go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. The Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So we call it in Singlish, double confirm. Lah. So Joseph and Mary went, they went, and double confirm. We are beholding not a baby, we're beholding God's gift to the world. All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And this will be a repeated phrase of Mary's response. In being chosen so undeservingly, so unexpectedly, not because she's perfect as in Catholic doctrine, not because she's sinless, she's not, but just found favour with God. God could have chosen anyone, but He so happened to choose Mary. And she so happens to be part of the faithful remnant of Israel. Her response, she ponders, but I'm going to take you to verse 20, then go back to verse 19. The shepherds return, glorifying, praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So notice the only party so far that, brings, that has praise are the angels because that's the main activity in heaven. Now, the first responders to this are the shepherds. And after they witness this, they are the first of the human responders to glorify God and praise God. Which tells us a very important thing, that if we are going to glorify and praise God, it will be through the finished work of Jesus, born in a humble manger at this point. So there is a sacred place for spontaneous worship that will turn into eternal worship with the finished work of Jesus when heaven meets earth in Jesus. But there will also be a place as recorded in Mary's life for what? For the quiet contemplation. So sometimes there's the spontaneous things. So how many of you know a Rubik Cube? The Rubik Cube. And how fast? This was introduced to us many years ago. And, you know, competing with ourselves to find this, this is Max Puck, who set a world record for solving a 3 by 3 by 3 Rubik's Cube in 3.13 seconds. Can you imagine that? Many of us get a Rubik's Cube. Huh? I don't know. Now, I might never solve it. Could that be you? I'm not sure. As a preteen, he couldn't unscrew the cap of a water bottle, let alone try to tackle a Rubik's Cube. Sometimes in a Christian life, all things fall into place, and it leads to spontaneous praise. Sometimes in your life, you have to keep 
twisting, turning, twisting, turning to understand the ways of God before things line up. And so in one episode, you find the shepherds with that quick thing, it falls into place. On the other hand, you see Mary, where she has to wait and understand the fullness of the beauty of a son that she bore. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. So I want to say to you that there's a sacred place for us as believers for humble and patient reflection when we are going through a really tough time and we will ask God, what on earth are you doing in heaven? Do you not hear my cries? Do you not feel my pain? Are you a God who knows me and loves me? And for us, there may be a place for that silent contemplation. And someone said, why are we so afraid of silence? Our modern-day world, from the time we wake to the time we sleep, we are on to our gadgets. We are so afraid that the silence might lead us to boredom or the silence might lead you to a reality that there is God who is mighty and you who are tiny and puny, that you should not march around as if you rule the world and control the world. No, friends. I highly commend that what is written of Mary here should be something that we prayerfully as Christians individually and collectively learn to wait upon God and not run ahead of Him as He unfolds His salvation purposes for us. Many things about your background, many things about your present circumstances will only make sense when you look back and see God's fingerprints on your life. Many things you look back and see that God was at work then. And where does that take us? He came in the Spirit into the temple. We're now face to face with the most important persons as we meet the Lord Jesus. He came in the Spirit to the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. So what do you know of all the people who took part? They, became, they, they are faithful people who obeyed the law. The law was the litmus test of whether they were faithful Jews. And so, Simon took him, the baby, in his arms, blessed God, and says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. This is a peace offered to him as one who pleased God, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. So if you read the full account He's waiting as a faithful Jew for the comfort of Israel. And the comfort of Israel will come finally from the salvation of his people. He beholds this salvation in a person, in a baby. It's not a philosophy. It's not a worldview. It's not politics. He beholds consolation and salvation for Israel in the person of Jesus. And that's very important. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. For the first time, this is the, this is the negative news for Mary. So far, it's just been positive. She breaks out into song. 
And now, what is foretold is that this child that you brought into the world, he will draw human enmity, hostility, and you will bear the brunt of it too as his mother. And now we know as God's people that wherever you mention the name of Jesus, you either love him or you hate him. In half the Christian world, Christians are still persecuted. Christians are still arrested, thrown into prison. Christians still die for their faith. It's here in sunny Singapore that we have not experienced it in any big form yet. But persecution, animosity is part of the deal. But then we must enlighten your discipleship here in Singapore. For you try to stand up for Jesus in your school, primary or secondary. We hear again and again from the ground, I try to stand up for Jesus and I get bullied. I get bullied in real time, I get bullied in social media. And you do not know what to do. Should I change school? Can I change friends? Not so easy to change school. You stand up for Christ in your workplace and you might be stagnant or you might be retrenched. It's there in the first world. So this child will draw hostility and all who believe in him as followers will. And then there was Anna the prophetess. And what do we see of her? Was she widowed for 84 years or was she 84 years and widowed a long time? Whatever picture we get of her, she's a faithful person. So what do you see here, as the commentator Ralph Davis said? You see a very young Mary being part of God's purposes. You see a very old Anna being part of God's purposes, which tells you the Church of Christ must include young and old. Amen? There are no useless old people. Anna is not a useless widow. I remember in my early days in Princep Street, our founding church, our mother church, I went to visit this sister in Christ, older lady in Christ, and she was in hospital post-op. I said, I'm so sorry, Pastor Chris. I can't do anything. All the things you want to launch and take, I can't do. All I can do is pray. All I can do is pray. I reached out and held her hand. That's the best thing you can do. You know what she told me? Every Sunday, a group of women would gather there praying for whoever are the preachers to preach faithfully, to preach courageously and to live this out in their life. There are no old folks abandoned. There are no two young voices that we cannot hear their contributions to church. We are experiencing that now in a golden age of ARPC. I call it the Swiss roll age where we have children, 600 attending, 1,000 on paper, 400 youth, and you turning up here and filling up every service in which your fellow um, basic folks get baptised. It's a wonderful expression of us being an all-age church. You do a survey of all the churches here in Singapore, and we're struggling, we're struggling. And I don't say that as a boast, but if this is happening to us, we got to go and help and bless other churches about not forgetting the young and the old in our midst and including them in God's purposes. The final presentation of Jesus, they brought him out for the Passover and then as parents, they lose him. Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Was Jesus slightly rude to his parents? I'm not sure. Right? 
Was he suffering the preteens thing? Why are you looking for me? I don't think he was rude. He was saying to his parents, where did you expect to find me? In all of Jerusalem, where do you think you expect to find me? In the market? Where do you think you expect to find me? You should have expected to find me in the only place, the temple, where God would meet his people. That was his repartee to his parents. Not rude. Did you not know? Did you hear the prophecies about me? Didn't you hear the angels sing about this? You should have found me. So if you're ever lost, uh, where do you think your parents will find you? McDonald's? Which hawker centre? I don't know. Right? I really have no idea. Where do you think you'll find me if I'm ever lost? If we get old and get dementia? Some of our members have lost their parents due to dementia. And they ask, Pastor Chris, can you help us? Can you help us? Can, you pray? can the pastoral team pray? Can we go look for parents? Have we told the police he's not been found? Where do you think? You should have found Jesus where he belongs. And this asserts his sonship. So his sovereign king, his saviour and his son, they did not understand what he was saying. The Rubik cube. I don't understand. I don't understand. I'm just flipping it. I can't make, get the full picture of this son. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. So, and he was, he was disobedient to them. No, he was obedient as a teenager to his parents. That's very important to note about our Lord Jesus. Though he corrected them at one point, he went down with them and was submissive or obedient to them all his life. And the, the one-liner that ends it all, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, in favour with God and men. What on earth is God doing when he sends Jesus into the world? Recorded here, his humble birth among animals. He's bringing about the wisest person who feared God, loved God, and will go from cradle to the grave in full obedience of God's salvation purposes. I do not know what you think of your life, but whatever is happening in your life, every single detail is being weaved in by God to bring you to the time in which you will bow the knee to believe in Jesus as your Saviour and your Lord. You may not understand it. It's like flipping the Rubik Cube forever. But slowly but surely, the pieces will come into place and you then will see, this is my Sovereign, this is my Saviour, this is God's Son given for me, that I might be a son and daughter of God. Let's stand and pray together as the musicians come up and sing this song in thanksgiving to God. We live in a fallen world and we live as fallen beings. And so many things happen in our life on a macro scale with governance that we do not understand and in our personal lives that we do not understand. That we will surely call out to you somewhere in the pilgrimage of life, what on earth are you doing in heaven about all the fallenness and sinfulness of this world, about our pain, about our cries. But we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for Luke's account that in all the seemingly random things, 
from an emperor who issues a decree to the propelling of Joseph and Mary on this arduous journey in a very untimely season of their life are all woven in as part of your loving, saving purposes for us. May we also be encouraged that you, O oh God, have always chosen to tell us to go and it is the going that we find our true identity and destiny from Abraham to Moses and finally to Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that have chosen to use the no bodies of this world, the ones who remain faithful to you but are noticed in this world that we live in. We thank you for all the precious lessons to us, that you are God who goes before us, so set us free from anxiety and fill us with peace and serenity by trusting Jesus as the rightful King to rule over our lives. We pray that by your grace, we will live one life fully for Jesus, unafraid of life, unashamed of him. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.